This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Russ Jones. And Brad Cannon here. We are wide open. How are you, my friend? I'm fine. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm smiling more and I'm... Oh my gosh, that's, that's I'm, my I'm, question. I have a question I'm, for I'm, you. I'm friendlier. I have a question for you. You know, when we were at the um, Ohio convention, I guess there was like close to 5,000 people there or something. Sure. But one of the things we got a chance to see is a lot of people that watch our show and... It was funny how many people told us and have sent messages to us that Brad is just grouchy, mean, (laughs) not sociable. They like him because he's smart and he asks good questions. But, you know, then when people got to meet him at the conference, everybody was like shocked. They're like, he's such a nice guy. So what so, is this is supposed to be a question, not oh, a statement. Okay. So my question is, why do you think that so many people um, think differently of you than how you may truly be? Because it is the way that I am and I've had it my entire life. My dad had it. I had it. I work with my dad when I was in six, when I was 16 years old in high school and then I was when I was in college I used to work for him and everybody was scared to death of my dad. Okay. My dad was literally the nicest person in the world. Yeah, I I I like your dad a lot. I've known your dad well for a lot of years. Right, but everybody Great was guy. scared to death of him. And okay. in fact, he had a an apprentice that despised him until they got to know him outside of work. Okay. And he and that the apprentice actually ended up marrying someone that my mom hooked him up with. Um, and they've been married, got two kids and some of our best friends. And I don't know, it's just the way we look. It's because I, I don't tolerate kind of crap. Okay. I don't like crap. I'm not kind of that funny, happy go lucky guy. Mm-hmm. I kind of am, but I'm not, you know. So generally when I speak to people, if it's if it comes out of my mouth 90% of the time, it's probably sarcasm. And sometimes they don't catch it. So I don't know. I don't know why I'm trying to yeah. smile more and be, be, be happier. What did your wife say about that? When uh, she found out that what, I mean, aside from laughing about it, what did she think? She about was it? shocked that people No, you're just I'm saying mean. that I am. No, yeah. she believes them. <laughs> <laughs> what is, what do you got there? 
that is um one of my guys got me a uh a bucky the beaver from you know bucky's gas station yeah got me a, a hand puppet one day and I, I don't know why they got I me know you're a big bucky's fan so. i like bucky's so they they were down there working and they saw it and they brought it home to me so huh. my employees even got me something so they don't all hate me I mean, you and I had, uh, you know, we, I think we talked about last week. We had fun. It was good to see the people. We interviewed a few people that'll be coming on here. Right. But I mean, you know, I just couldn't let you go without doing that. But, you know, I know that you have somebody that you're bringing on. They'll know a lot more about the Ohio conference. Correct. And we're just going to go ahead and bring him right on. He's lounging in his backyard. The, the, uh, the grand poobah of the Ohio Bigfoot conference, Mark DeWorth. Hi, Mark. How are you guys doing? Hey, Good. Russ. Hey, Brad. How are you? Good. You know, I'm always so excited to get you on, man. I mean, uh, people probably don't know this, but, you know, Mark is very good friends with Brad and I, and uh, Mark and I talk often and text often. And uh, so, so glad to have you here, man. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Just uh, been doing yard work all afternoon. And like I said, I looked at the clock. I'm like, oh, geez, I got to get on. So it's like perfect timing. Right. So, you're heading down to an Ohio expedition this weekend, right? Yes. Yes. And, and hopefully something great will happen. I have to miss it. Cause I got to work. I just found out I got to work. Um, but a lot of those people at this expedition were at the conference last weekend. Um, yeah. So explain to our viewers or our listeners, when you go on an expedition, you put on expeditions, you know, what do they need to, what do they expect? What should they expect? How does it go, you know, for somebody that may be listening and has maybe thinking, well, gosh, I'd like to go on an expedition, but I don't really know what happens. Am I going to, somebody going to make fun of me? Am I going to be this newbie and I, I'm going to be out of my element? You know, what can they expect when they go on an expedition? Well, I, th I think the first thing I always tell people is expect the unexpected because a lot of times if you go in there thinking that something is something's going to happen or not going to happen, it might be just the opposite. Um, I think you just got to go in with the idea that you're going to be surrounded around people that have have had experiences or may or maybe just very experienced at hosting and running expeditions in areas. And I think uh, some of the most important things I always tell people is that you got to come in with a, just an open mindset. You got to have a have a, uh, a willingness to learn and a willingness to hike, because I think some of the some of the most important factors of the expeditions, in my opinion, is just getting out, hiking the areas, looking looking through the areas that you're going to be doing a lot of your research at night or a lot of your your nighttime ops at and uh, to getting to kind of learn the topography of the area that you're in. Maybe it'll help you better understand uh, um, you know, why a Bigfoot could be around there or why the area is active. And, and obviously try to learn as much about the history from the people that are in attendance that are hosting the events. And, it, you know, give you a better understanding of the event. It'll make it much more funner for you. And if you're with your family or your kid or something, you'll have a great time. And, I, you know, a big thing that some people may get a little freaked out about is, you know, they watch these TV shows and everybody's always out at night. We're always out at night. We're always out at night. We're out at 2 o'clock in the morning. It's pitch black out. You're out at night. Um, don't let that stop you from going on an expedition. Um, oh, exactly. Some, some people, you know, they may be a little leery of that. Um, they may be uncomfortable being in the woods at night. You know, we're always out there. We, we have generally, we have thermals and night vision. Um, you know, you got your red headlamps, so it's not completely dark. Um, 
and you're with a lot of experienced people that have been doing this quite a while. So, you know, I try to tell people that's, that's not a big deal. Um, it's actually kind of fun once you get used to it. Um, it's a great place to sleep, you know, out in the woods at night. Um, plus, um, you know, we love to have new people, right? I mean, Oh, of course. Of course. I, I that's, mean, that's... E- even when you run in the conference, how many new people do you meet at the conference every year? Thousands. Right. I mean, it's just, there's just so many new faces, so many new people. And, you know, I think one thing like with the conference is that I've really been aiming at bringing in as many new people as I can, giving people opportunities that normally never could get tickets, get them some accessibility to them, maybe a little earlier on, um, you know, especially people that have never attended or people that have maybe a special needs child or something. You know, I want them to be able to experience the event, to experience the speakers, the lectures, and, you know, hopefully go away from there with the idea that, hey, you know what, this was cool, this was fun. You know, maybe Bigfoot does really exist. And, uh, you know, but like I say, I always try to tell people, be as speculative as possible, but also have a very open mind. And, you know, that's all pretty much our community asks for anyways. If you go into this stuff, just have an open mind and, you know, things may happen and you might, your mind might be changed. So, yeah, absolutely. So, Mark, what's the uh, most interesting thing that you've ever had happen on a conference or a conference on a uh, expedition that you've been on? I know you've been on an awful lot of them, but just the best thing. No, I think uh, I think one night I was out in in it was at an Ohio expedition. I won't say what specific year or anything, but but I remember being out with a team, you know, after hiking up this massive hill with like you know, four people. And, and I mean, it was just one of these kind of up, 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 and just, you never got to the top. And then once we did, we started moving down this one, this ridge line with the idea that, that, Hey, you know, we're going to get up on this ridge line and get to the high point and do some wood knocks and see if we can, you know, get some communication going at this high point to see if any other, other teams at the other satellite stationary locations would hear anything. And so we get up to the one point where we plan to do our initial wood knocks and, and uh, matter of fact, it was one of the Brown brothers, you know, just, you know, goes, okay, I'll do two knocks. He does two knocks and there's four of us standing there. And I mean, in plain is, 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 is day, like within 10 seconds, seven straight knocks coming right ahead of us. And uh, I remember the look on the Brown boys faces and the other person that was with us, like, and this other person, the funny thing is he was a kid. And when I say a kid, he's maybe 18. He was absolutely not a believer. He was just coming to hang out and things like that. It was kind of funny. And when that happened, I mean, he's like, oh my God, these things do exist. And, you know, you could just tell he was totally blown away. And the, and the funniest thing about that incident was seven clear knocks. And I believe they got it on recording. If I, if I remember possible, you know, uh, if, if I remember correctly, but the, the funny thing is the other teams did not hear them. It's almost like we were so high up that the sounds traveled over the top of them and they didn't pick them up because they were on lower elevation points. So it was quite an interesting scenario, but, but believe me, it wasn't something that anyone expected. I mean, the, the activity at the, at the expedition location had been kind of quiet for a few months prior. So it wasn't like anything was happening, but it just like, all came together and it did happen. And, you know, and after that, and, you know, it kind of brought a smile to my face because people that had never experienced that stuff and, you know, 
real time. And, you know, and when I say real time, that's actually be standing there, hearing the vocalization, hearing the wood knock, hearing whatever, which is totally different than having a recorder hanging in the tree and picking up sounds of yells, picking up sounds of wood knocks. Because when you hear it with your own ears, you understand it better. You kind of get a direction where it's coming from. And it just it really makes the experience just, you know, totally amazing. And, and especially seven in a row, that's pretty out. You know, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, and they were clear as day too. They, there were no doubt. <laughs> you know, speaking of expeditions in Ohio in general, you know, Ohio really is considered the fourth most common place for Bigfoot sightings. You know, out of the Pacific Northwest, and of course, you know, I've talked about this. Whoa, is that shoot something hits me in the head? Before, you know, it kind of makes sense because you know, for anybody that doesn't remember, whatever Bigfoot is, he came across ten to twenty thousand years ago from the. Uh, Asia across the Bering Land Bridge came into yep. the United States. And of course, the three states that are up there near the Bering Land Bridge have the most sightings, which makes sense. Then you have Ohio with the fourth most sightings. Why do you think that Ohio is so popular for Bigfoot sightings? Well, I think I think it's quite obvious. Uh, at one time, Ohio had probably the largest deciduous forest in the whole North American continent. I mean, they always said that there, the trees were so big and were so massive that a squirrel could jump on on the Ohio River edge and go all the way up to Lake Erie without ever having to touch the ground. Well, mm -hmm. when you have those kind of trees, which was basically uh, like an American chestnut, uh, oak, hickory-based forest types in most most areas of the state that's a high volume or high mass producers which obviously all the all the uh, herbivores are going to be feeding on that mast and the bigfoots need calories to eat so not only do those trees provide calories it also provided the deer and the elk that would be feeding on them so the bigfoots could hunt on there and also too we have we have the Ohio River Valley on the on the south. We have Lake Erie on the north. So we have dual drainage. We have north drainage, south drainage. So we have a lot of water in our state. And when you just look at the amount of fresh water this state has, it's it's one of the most abundant, you know, high volume water states in the whole country. And when you have water, shelter, you know, deer, mass producing trees, I, it's a it's just a great combination. Wow. I mean, uh, I think that one of the things important, too, because we've always had a lot of Bigfoot sightings in Ohio, that there's a lot of investigators in Ohio. And I guess that, you know, when you have a lot of investigators, a lot of people are getting those reports down in the trenches that you don't hear from other places. Like in West Virginia, there's just a few of us that take reports. So we're probably not getting, you know, and in West Virginia, people are more hesitant to talk about it, where as in Ohio, the, the subject isn't so taboo. It seems like people are really interested in it. You know, exactly. That's that's 100 percent correct. I mean, thank God for people like like Don Keating and Ron Schaffner and Mark Francis and Betty and Leon Parks and and different people like that, that were kind of those first, uh, should I say, the the first investigators in our state that basically said, you know, we're going to go look into this stuff. if We don't care what people think or what people say, because there is something there that needs to be looked into. And they and they really stuck their necks out to do it. And, you know, the rest has become history. Yeah. <clears throat> so we met an individual at the conference that we're going to have on the show in a couple of weeks that he was uh, supposed pushed. I, I don't want to say the word attacked, but he was grabbed, pushed by a suspected Sasquatch, you know, had to go to the hospital, something happened, blah, whatever that is. Have you, you know, you've probably investigated as many reports as anybody, you know, Russ, I know does a ton of them. And I know you do a ton of them. Have you ever run across a report where maybe somebody has been pushed, attacked, 
um, bias how, how watch. About, how about escorted out of the woods with intention? Like okay. basically to the point where it was pushing the lady out of the woods without touching her. But when she fell on the ground, it stopped and waited for her to get up and to continue on on the frantic pace back to her vehicle. Okay. Um, that, that was over in Harrison County, over in uh, Harrison State Forest. Okay. And, so, uh, so, how, so, how, so start from the beginning. Well, I mean, basically... The, the two women were, were foresters and they were doing, uh, they were testing trees to mark them for cutting. And they have kind of a device, it's kind of like a metal device where they whack the tree. And when they whack the tree, it'll give off a sound. And if the tree is hollow or the tree, if the tree's hollow, it'll sound a different way. And then if certain species of trees that are looking at, then they're going to mark them for cut. And some others might not be big enough or might, or might be dying already. So they're not good like timber for timber value. So they were just basically doing tree marking for, for the cutting crew that would have been coming through the previous, you know, later that season. And uh, so the two women had split up and they were doing their job. And the one woman said, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm hitting the tree with my with with my uh, with my my tool. And she said, all of a sudden I hit it a second time. Then she goes, I hear like the sound of two two sounds coming to coming to my in my left looking direction. She goes, I look over to the left and I don't see anything. So I continue doing what I'm doing. And as I would do it in do it and hit the tree with the tool she says i'd get like a, a sound like a knock coming right back at me so she said i finally get to the point where where i'm, I'm up starting to get a little worried and i and i hit a tree and all of a sudden immediately i get an immediate knock to my left so she goes i look over and she says maybe about 75 feet away she realizes leaning against a big tree was it was this thing and she goes, at first I turned and looked at it like, what the heck is that? And she goes, it's just stayed super still. So she goes, I made one step toward it. And when I made one step toward it, it just turned its body and just kind of tilted its head. And when she saw it do that, she realized it was something living and she couldn't believe what she was seeing. So she turned around and just started making her, her way back to the vehicle. And she says, when I started doing that, I turn around and this thing is following her out of the woods or or as she said, chasing her out of the woods. Chasing and she okay. goes she, and she goes, I start crying uncontrollably as I'm trying to run out of the woods. And meanwhile, her friend or the, her well, her co-worker who was on the other side of this hillside could hear like this commotion. So she started making her way back to the to the vehicle. And so the lady says, she goes, I fell twice during the time trying to run out of the woods. And every time I fell and turned around, the Bigfoot just stopped and just waited till I got up. And then basically, once I started running, started following me again. And she said it could have easily caught her, but it never did. It just kind of kept its distance. Well, it eventually got to the point where the other woman and met up with her, like, what's going on? And as, as this woman's bawling her eyes out and she said, this thing's following me. Look, the other woman turns and sees it, too. She starts freaking. So the two ladies are running back to the to the vehicle and this thing's following them out. And it eventually got to the point where they got into their vehicle. They were frantic, freaking out. And when they got on the vehicle, this the Bigfoot took like like a tree branch and threw it at the vehicle. Like, Gee, get the hell Christmas. out. 
And, uh, you know, so they drove away frantic and they did report it to their to their superiors and their, you know, what their superiors told her, told them. And this happened many years ago in the early 80s. The, the superiors told them, no, that's not what happened. You saw a bear. Yep. And uh, and it got to the point where the one woman was so upset over it, the initial witness, that she would open up her locker and people would have hanging monkeys in the locker trying to, like, taunt her and make fun of her. And uh, and she was, you know, got to the point where she ended up leaving, leaving the Forest Service because of that. And I actually and how I got her as a witness back long before we had email and all that stuff, I used to have a pager. And what I would okay. do is I would buy little ads in all the local papers in, in Ohio, just the little rural areas saying Bigfoot, Sasquatch, have you seen one? If so, call 188, blah, blah, blah. And she had she had paged me. And when you, she paid, she left a message. So I listened to her her voice message, message and she's like, well, I don't know if this is serious or not, but I, I, I really need to talk to someone because I did have something happen. And when I talked to her on the phone, she was blubbering literally bubbling her eyes out she said they not only because of what happened because of how she was treated by the employer and everything and uh, she said to this day like her and that other woman they have not talked since that day because just the fact they just shook them up so bad it was just like a nightmare and she's like this thing could have got us if it wanted to but it never did and i said so it kind of did the old kill deer effect where it basically just kind of you know, got your attention and just pushed you out while the, while the, whatever else they were, it was protecting got away. And so there was probably more than one of them. And it was in an area, you know, where Harrison state forest, that's pretty close to where Jim Thompson does research. And uh, it's always been an active area. So, I mean, things like that don't surprise me at all, but, but when you hear the, when you hear the, heard this witness, I mean, it was just unbelievable how upset she was, how just crying uncontrollably and, you know, trying to, you know, counsel her on, you know, hey, it's OK. These things do happen. It wasn't trying to harm you. It was just trying to get you to leave and things like that. And uh, so, I mean, that was, you know, that was an amazing story, in my opinion. I mean, just you know, how everything went down. Interestingly, you know, when Mark, when you said that, uh, of course, foresters, you know, they hit on the trees and what they're trying to do, they call it sounding. And they're able to tell by the sound of the noise. And I'm saying, I know Mark already knows this, but I'm just telling this for the listeners. They're able to tell by the pitch of the sound whether or not the tree is hollow, so it would be yep. dangerous to cut down or not dangerous. But I had a head forest ranger at one of the parks that I go to often tell me that she had been in the woods, heard a wood knock, but she thought that it was foresters or timber guys hitting the trees, and she had her walk talk, walkie-talkie out because she was concerned they were there because it was not an area that was supposed to be getting cut in. And later she, you know, surmised that it was probably a Bigfoot related thing. But I remember there was another report that I, I don't remember if I took it or read it or what I did, but there was two guys that were in a boat and it might even have been at Salt Fork and something was throwing rocks at them or something. And they went to the shore and kind of ran up there and um, they saw a Bigfoot, but the one guy got hit with a rock or something and it broke like four ribs or something and they had to go to the hospital. Yeah, that was over at uh, Hozak's cave and they were okay. night fishing by the cave. And, you know, that was an area long before the, you know, BFRO and things like that. That was an area where I remember Morgan taking reports there and Keating taking reports there, too. Same type of instances with fishermen at night getting rocks thrown at them. And that report you're talk <laughs> talking about, Russ, is 
they thought it was just kids up there throwing rocks. So when he ran up the hill, his intention was to find the kid that was doing it. And it wasn't a kid. It was a Bigfoot. And uh, so that's a pretty common thing that has happened down there over the history of that park. So that doesn't surprise me at all. That's actually where I was hiking uh, Saturday when you were golfing, Brad, at the or Friday at the Ohio Bigfoot Conference was that exact spot. That's I, a beautiful area. I was hiking on a golf cart with clubs. Yeah, he was. Well, someone has to, right? That's exactly right. I've seen that golf course for 10 years now, and I said, I'm going to play it at least once. And I couldn't get anybody to go with me, so I'm doing it by myself. Hey, Mark, <laughs> how many people did you have at the Ohio Conference this year? Well, I mean, you know, the, the, the lodge told me that they estimated there was over, over 5,000 that came through on Saturday and, you know, they they just kept coming. I mean, it was nonstop people coming and going, coming and going, come, coming and going. Saw so many people that showed up at five o'clock saying, wow, we didn't, we just found out about this. So we drove all the way down, you know, thank God it, the vendors were open to about seven. And, uh, so it was, uh, just a ton of people and, you know, that's part of the fun is just having people come down with families and, and just, you know, they just have a general interest in the subject and, uh, you know, it just plants a seed for next year and it, and it makes everyone happy and you meet new people. And I mean, my, my inbox has been just absolutely blown up since that event and it still is getting blown up and people yeah, we, just want to know more people want to know how to prepare to get tickets for next year and it, you know like i say i wish i had an event that could hold a thousand people in seating and because if i had it i could fill it it wouldn't be a problem at all right and you know, uh, we even talked the, to uh that gentleman that we were sitting with during lunchtime you know him and his son were there and he would he brought his son down on saturday and he, he didn't get have tickets but he likes walking around and seeing stuff and talking to the the speakers. Cause that's something you, I think you did really well this year is you kind of spread the speakers out on multiple levels. So not everybody was down by that, uh, down in the, in the, in the main you know, foyer the, or whatever. Yeah. The, the lower foyer. area. Yeah. yeah. Correct. Yeah. Kinda yeah. And that's what I try to do is, is spread them all out because this way it'll create a flow. There won't be so much traffic congestion and, uh, you know, and that's part of the whole experience. And, you know, and I, I have more ideas I've already thought about for next year and to even make it more interesting. And, uh, right. you know, who knows? I mean, I think there's a lot of things we can do to make it even a more enjoyable event for everyone. And, uh, you know, and that's something I plan to do. I mean, I was hoping to be able to do a Sunday event this year, but the lodge, you know, somehow they booked an event without letting me know because they're typically supposed to let me know if they if they had anyone who was interested so I could tell them if I needed it or not. Because typically I would have done like a little town hall for people that did weren't able to get tickets but wanted to see the speakers and could have done something like that. But, you know, it's just, it, it's just how it worked out. So I was going to say, do you think um, attendance has leveled off, gone up, gone down after finding Bigfoot, you know, during the finding Bigfoot years, you know, when, you know, when Cliff would show up or Bobo would show up, literally it'd be an hour wait to talk to him or, you know, for people staying in line. So I think this year we kind of, we kind of thought maybe traffic was down a little bit, but then we walked upstairs and there were so many people and I'm like, no, they're just, they're just they're spread out. They're spread out a little more. Yes. Yes. And so that, we know satin and even, you know, even in the sessions, they were full too. They were, I mean, packed yeah. to the gills. So yep. I said, I don't think attendance has gone down. I think it's just kind of being managed a little bit better with the traffic. So, yeah. And that, 
that's why we go all three levels. We went into that that overlook room on the high upper upper level. Right. It created just a more comfortable flow. And I mean, in the old days when we just had vendors on the bottom floor, it would be so tightly packed. Oh. That if there was lines, people would be waiting. I remember when Bobcat was there. I mean, it was like he was stuffed down in the little pit. There were people just shoulder to shoulder. And uh, so, yeah, I wanted, wanted to create that kind of, you know, better flow. Even had the patio open this year again with Snuffy and them, which creates so people can get outside. And then having the food trucks up front are great because then people could, don't have to leave to go eat, you know, right. or, and stuff like that. So, I mean, all in all, I mean, like I say, it's it's probably – not going to make everyone happy, but it's, it's, you know, for the majority, I mean, it's, they're going to be fine. I had one person complain that, you know, he couldn't find a seat when he came in the room and he was a VIP ticket holder. And, and I kind of thought to myself, cause I had been standing up there a few times when I saw people come in, you know, I would immediately say, if you need a seat, there's one up here or there's one over here. And right. you know, sometimes people got to look a little harder to get a seat. And uh, and that's one thing that I think with what I'll make sure the MCs know is that when they're up front and a speaker's introduced and someone's looking for a seat, try to work the room to get the seat so people can all fit in. I mean, because I had exactly 375 uh, seats set up and 375 lanyards or, or VIP lanyards. So. So there was a seat for everyone. It was just, right. you know, you know, finding it. Right. So is there maybe a, a speaker or a guest that you want to get that you haven't been able to? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I've been negotiating with one of them, you know, as we speak. And okay. uh, right. I'm hoping to to get a commitment from them and uh, or him or her okay. or whatever they are. All I right. can't remember. And mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. Uh, so, but let's just say this, I already have four ducks in the pond already. And, uh, the big duck is the one that I'm trying to close on. And, uh, I really want to get proactive this year and get, get, get them all solidified the lineup. And, uh, you know, like I said, if I can get this big, if I can get this big duck, it's going to be, you think there was a lot of people this year, it's just going to go to, to the next level. So and for people that haven't went, I mean, it really is improving, um, the food was really good at the lodge itself. You know, they had even more food trucks come in this year. I mean, it used to be an issue trying to get food. Uh, it's not like that. I mean, I think the lodge is improving. I mean, the two things they could have done better this year was letting people check in a little early and yep. they still have an issue with cold water and the showers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> people are still taking cold showers, which is ridiculous at a state park. Yeah. Yeah. That, and you know, there was just a few other things that, you know, that I thought like the VIP dinner, you know, the way it was ran was kind of strange where you typically like at a wedding, they have you go sit down at tables and then someone comes in and says this table, that table, go get food, this table, that table, go get food. They did it kind of the opposite where you gave your ticket, got your food and then go find a seat. Well, if you're with a group of eight people, you know, and you're trying to get tables situated, kind of made it a little chaotic at the beginning. Right. Yeah. And uh, so, but, you know, it's lessons learned and we can just uh, keep improving. And, you know, obviously with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. See, there's a lot of new people working at the lodge this year. So that was part of it, too. The new people just weren't familiar with the event and how it ran and how it worked in the past. And so now they'll know. And so hopefully next year it'll be more efficient and hopefully they'll have all their new Wi-Fi. And I mean, they've been running that fiber optic. It's getting closer to the lodge. So it's going to get there it's this year for sure. So hopefully by next spring, they will have high, true high speed in every room. And if that's the case, you know, then, you know, something that we could probably do is like even stream the lectures, like maybe on TV somewhere. Like, you know, even have an overflow room where people can watch it, it you it know, was, stuff like it, it was stuff. funny coming in. I was looking at it and I was saying, man, you see that plow line there. Look, there's, you know, there's where they board this. There's some vaults here. I, Cause that's my business. That's what yeah. I do. That's yeah. I'm like, this is what I do. I wish yeah. I could have got an opportunity because I'm sure the state pays pretty decent money to have that stuff put in. Oh yeah. And, yeah, and I would have had it. I, I would have met the deadline and had it hooked up by the, uh, by the conference so that would have been an issue if i would have done it yeah um, well i mean you know the, the just the fact that the the state was willing to go ahead and run the line down is that's good enough because i mean it, just imagine like it's like burr oak lodge i mean that's in the middle of nowhere in gloucester i right. mean they, they they still have like the old dial up wow. probably i mean it's that that outdated but uh you know but like i say hopefully it'll improve and uh you know, we'll um, have the type of Wi-Fi we deserve. Now, during the conference, you run around like a chicken with your head cut off the whole time. Buck? Yeah, the rule is buck, avoid buck. Mark during the conference. Right. Oh, it's why? a handful. It's a handful. It, it is. It, I can imagine. Do you did you get anything? You know, somebody comes up to you and says, hey, Mark, I got to tell you this story. And here's some story or, hey, I'm going to get you with that. Get me after the conference. Maybe something, some good piece of, you know, Ohio, you know, interaction with a Bigfoot that that you got from the conference this year. Yeah, there was a gentleman from over in Maricopa South of me, Medina County, that had came up to me and introduced himself to me and was telling me about uh, you know a strange encounter that he had, and I believe he's a professional artist that draws uh, dogs and animals. And uh, so he had given me a print, and I think he even gave Russ one. Okay, yeah, I was thinking. I uh, actually, I got an email from him this week. He was sending me. I received a track it today, or something, or what was yes, his last he, name? Does his last name start with a W? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. He. He. I got it today in the mail, Russ. I haven't opened it up and looked okay. at it, 
but I definitely plan to. But he had a very interesting story and some some history around it. And it, and, it, and he was kind of surprised when he told me where he was at and and how I mentioned some references to some historical sightings over in that area. He's like, really? I've never heard of that before. I said, well, no, I, I had family that lived there that, you know, always knew about these stories. And uh, so. Um, that was an interesting witness. And, you know, and I did have a couple other people come up to me, but being so busy, you know, I basically told them to go, to go, you know, reach out to, to, you know, Russ, right. find, uh, the Brown family, find, find Jim Thompson, you know, someone local, right. you know, especially if they tell me what part of the state they're in. And I try to always, when I get r- reports, it's kind of like how Russ does. If he gets one up by me, he sends it up to me. If I get one down by him, I send it down to him because, you know, I, I could, I've always told investigators and researchers, don't sit there and think you're going to have time to investigate every report, regardless of how good it sounds. The most efficient way is to get it to someone that you know is reliable and that's going to get to that report and take care of it. Because the quicker you get to the scene, the quicker of a chance you have to find physical evidence. Or the, or the quicker you get to talk to that witness, you know, they get something written down, you get something written down because over time, those facts disappear, you know, what they, you know, just the mind plays tricks. Right. So, and they can be influenced by outside. uh, Exactly. Mark, I can't have you here and not ask. I know it's kind of cheesy and it's so such a platitude and it probably annoys people, but I mean, you probably taken more reports than anybody in Ohio. So I have to ask what's your favorite report that you've taken. Oh Lord. That's a tough one. I mean, there's so many interesting reports that I can think of. And, uh, you know, some of them are, geez, I, you know, one that really kind of makes me laugh was, was, and it's a funny report because now just imagine this. So you come home from, say, you're, you go to Walmart, you pick up your 50 pound bag of dog food. And you set it out on the back deck in like kind of like a garbage can type thing, like one of those metal cans and the, and the dogs come and go and they're usually outside most of the time. Well, you know, well, one one night, the uh, you know, the lady, you know, mentioned that, yeah, I, I, I kind of noticed my outdoor light went on couple times during the night but the weird thing is my dogs were not reacting to it at all and these were some pretty big dogs i think they were like black labs and brown labs and uh and and these things eat a lot and they and she said she heard something on the deck dogs weren't barking so she just figured it was a coon or something like that didn't think anything well the next day she goes out to feed the dogs like out on the deck and she's like huh she goes, where'd the food go? And she goes, well, maybe I left it at Walmart. So she goes back to Walmart and asks, did someone leave a 50 pound bag of food? They're like, well, no. And she's like, that's strange. So she just presumed that she forgot to buy it then. Okay. And uh, so she got another bag, did the same exact thing. Well, on this next night, same thing. Something's up on the deck on the house. And uh, so finally, you know, she, they go out, she goes out there in the morning and dogs didn't react. The frickin' food's gone again. So finally, she realized that, you know, someone was playing a game with her. So she just assumed it was people stealing the dog food. Well, well, so she put a like a motion sensor light on the garage, which would have been to the right of the deck. And she says, well, during the night, she she heard some noise and she saw this light go on. So she told her husband, you know, that, hey, who, whoever's taking the dog food's out there right now. So he walks out there. And he hears something tussling on the side of the right side of the garage where the two garbage cans were. 
So he walks, walks over there with a flashlight and starts shining the light down there. And there's two big garbage cans there on wheels. And he says, all of a sudden, something squatted up behind the cans. It was a squatch. And it was holding the bag of dog, dog food under its arm. And it just looked at him, turned and just turned his body, the whole torso and all with the bag of food. It just walked back into the woods. And uh, he said, and they... They could not figure what the heck was doing it because they the dogs weren't barking. And he said he doesn't know why to this day those dogs wouldn't bark. And and, uh, you know, but obviously we know why. But I mean, so, you know, so but like I say, what well, I mean, what I loved about it is the squash wasn't stupid. If you're going to keep leaving food out for it, it's just going to come back and take advantage until it's seen. And once it's seen. They probably didn't have an issue again. And I told them, I remember talking to them. I'm just like, well, you know, obviously you might want to keep your food in the house for future, future reference and things like that. And, and they said it maybe for about a week, it was just eerie out. The dogs did not want to go in the woods. And then it was like the, the switch had turned and the dogs were back to being normal. So obviously they moved on, you know, typical squash behavior where once they realize they're detected, then they move on to somewhere else to, to find an, another food source they can take advantage of. And, uh, but that report was interesting because the fact that he heard the, heard the rustling on the side of the garage and hits the light and it stands up behind the huge cans and I mean, you know, it holding the dog food. So he caught him right in the act with the bag in the arm. So it was kind of cool. But uh, um, I know Brad and, had an experience, took a yeah. report like right outside Columbus was something similar to that. Yeah, I had a um, uh, went and did or took a report from somebody. Uh, you know, they never filed it officially, but it was friends of family and kind of I, I contact him through that way. And, you know, they'd watch this thing one night uh, that was maybe a couple hundred yards across the field. They were they were moving out of their house and they were in and out of the house and it was like dusk and they see somebody walking around this house and they knew that the people weren't home. So they thought it was kind of weird. So they watched it for a little while and they said they watched for about 20 minutes. And next thing you know, they see it, it kind of walks, it's all Brown. It walks up the road kind of towards them. It walks across the road down the ditch and they said it walks along this fence line over in the field. It was a, it was at a state park. So there was a fence line that uh, separated it from a horse pasture. And, you know, it was pretty decent distance away, but they said they could see it pretty, pretty easily. And they said the thing that, that they were surprised of that this thing was so fast that it, it was like literally the, the fence was to its waist and this thing just moved across this field very fast. So, they thought, man, that's kind of interesting. So they go over to the, there was a little girl that actually lived in that house across the street from where they saw this. And they said, Hey, you know, Jeannie or whatever. I said, we know you're taking care of the neighbors, you know, their house where they're gone. Um, have you noticed anything going on? And the little girl says, no, no, not really. She said, but, uh, man, those cats are sure eating a lot of food, you know? <laughs> so Fast forward a little bit, and I heard this story from somebody else that same person, different story from different person. They said that there was a lady that lived in that house. Her and her husband did. She heard something in the garage, middle of the daytime. Heard something in the garage, opens the garage door to look in the garage, and <laughs> literally there's a squatch in the garage grabbing the bag of dog food. Wow. Yeah. So she ends up shutting the door, um, calls husband, literally they're renting the house 
Yeah. Called a moving company and they moved back to Columbus. I, there was there was one I took. It was like west of Delaware, Ohio, out in the boondocks going out there where you know, it was a farm. And he kind of had like one of those 55 gallon drums that had like that press on lid on the top. You know, right. like a pressure fit lid. And he was just keeping like, like it might have been cow feed, something to feed some of the critters, you right. know, in his barn. And the barn was double open. So it had an open door on one side. And then along the back, there was a door going out that went back to their fenced in area t- to one direction. And then over t- to the right was a wood line. And uh, well, he was suspecting something was coming in and taking food out of there because like you like you said, he was he'd check his food stock and trying to figure out like. I didn't feed this much food. Something isn't right here. And uh, so, so one night or, you know, it wasn't even night. It was still like getting toward dusk, let's say, you know, he, he heard some commotion in the barn. So he goes walking out there and he goes, as I walked in the one door, he goes, I heard the sound of the lid because whatever it was, try to put it back on and it didn't go on. It fell off. So I walk over and there's the lid on the ground and he, and he sees like impressions in the soil in the that part of the barn. So he goes, I walk out the back door and look to the left toward the, where the horse horse pen is. And the horses were all cowered over on the one side. I look over to the right and he said, walking right down the outside of the fence line was this silverish kind of gray creature and he's like like what you explained brad he said it it went down the fence line so fast and he just watched how this thing move that upper body like swinging those shoulders from from that kind of an angle he was watching it and he said it went right down to the corner of the property and there was a creak and just boom he just saw the whole head and everything drop down in and boom gone but there were and this was some years ago it happened but he i mean they remembered it i mean it was just like it just totally freaked him out and and matter of fact the the guy was a was a retired sheriff and oh, wow. uh, so it was something that he said he goes and all my life he goes i've never heard anything ab- about something like this but i mean after seeing what i saw he says there's no doubt these things exist absolutely zero doubt you know one of the uh, reports that i was just thinking about because of us talking about that mark and i were related on is people that have seen me on tv or maybe read one of my books remember that one of the stories I had was there was a remote beaver dam that the, you know, it's not any wider than this desk. You could literally in the summer jump across it. But when you went back in there, there was a four acre beaver pond as a mile or two back in there. The fishing was unbelievable and nobody knew about it because it was not, um, there's no paths or trails to it or whatever. And so um, I was back there fishing with my uncle. We were both wearing pistols because it was very snaky we were standing on a beaver dam facing this brushy, um, you know, the water is maybe 30 yards wide and then there's some brush up there. And I heard um, something coming down through the brush. And I just assumed it was probably a deer. And I glanced over at my uncle and I saw him looking. And all of a sudden I heard very monkey-like screaming and shaking of the bushes. just And of course, now, you know, I know, of course, that's very typical Bigfoot behavior. And you hear that commonly. I had no idea what it was. I asked my uncle, I'm like, what is that? And he's like, just look for a tree you can get to. It's got to come across the water to get to us. You know, so we're looking around for a tree. And after about a minute, it quit. And I always tell everybody, you know, we just kept fishing. We didn't know anything about a Bigfoot or anything. We weren't really afraid of anything. But what's ironic is that if you walk up that hollow and cross a road and go up another hollow, it comes right out by my family's land. And there was this report (laughs) just Mark was in the BFRO before I was in the group that there was this lady that had a, um, 
you know, kind of a house, the house sloped away from her and she was in there and she had fish. And so she kept thinking that the fish light was on and she's watching TV and she's looking in the window and she kept thinking there's like something there. <laughs> and so she turned off that light so she could see and she could see this thing looking at her. And that window was like eight feet high. And, and it was, wasn't it looking down at the fish tank? It was looking down at the fish tank. Which was it, a coffee table fish tank. Yeah. And it actually had left handprints, yeah. which were enormous yes. on that window. Yes. She called the deputy sheriff out there. The deputy sheriff came out and, you know, did the blotting of the prints and stuff. And he's like, I've never yep. seen anything like this. These are enormous, blah, blah, blah. But yep. the whole interesting thing beyond that was, you know, of course, like I said, that's literally right where that happened to me and where my family had had some things happen. And I asked Mark about it. And he said, you know what? He's, I forget who he, who he was with. We went out there and we looked around. He said, we walked down this fence line and looked into this hollow. And he said, I got spooked. And there was something in that hollow. And I told whoever I was with, you know, we're not going down in there. And when they were walking away, that guy told Mark, I was so glad that you walked away from that because it just, there was something there. It was weirding me out. He said, that was one of the only times I've only been ever been afraid in the woods when this, when that happened. And it was that case there that involved my family and that land that I was near. Yeah, that I remember that property and that property was, uh, I don't know, there, it just, you know, how you, you come onto a place and you just get those heebity-jeebities about everything about it. I mean, that was even one of the places I remember driving home from there, like and oh, my face starts swelling up and I, I've <laughs> never been allergic to anything. And I'm sitting there thinking, what's wrong with my face? So I look in the mirror and it's my eyes are closing because of this. So I had to like stop in Columbus and get some Benadryl just to get it to go down. And I literally had to go to the hospital because it's just was out of control. And so here was the weird thing. So I go back down a month later to retrieve my game camera. And so I go down there and I'm thinking, and, so I had Benadryl ready and literally within 15 minutes of leaving the same thing started happening, but I was ready and I took it quickly and, you know, counteracted, but there was something there that I was allergic to, but that, that was a creepy part of the state. And you know where I'm talking about Russ. I mean, yes. it's just something about over there. The people there just, the lady was nice as can be. And, uh, but yeah, it was looking in the window at her fish tank. That was a coffee table. It was just, I mean, it, that was an amazing story. I mean, that those are, those are some of the good old day reports, as I call it. That yeah, they, you know, I mean, those were fun investigations and all day events, but well worth the uh, worth the miles and the fun, you know, doing them. You know, it's funny because um, you know, of course, I grew up in that hunting family, and I killed my first rabbit when I was six years old. And you know, by the time that I was eight and nine, I had my own trap line, and my grandfather and my father would drive me to where it was and they would sit in the car and I don't know what they'd be doing. And then I would drop down into the woods and all these rocky crags like we have in Ohio and going whatever. And I remember my father telling me one time that he's like, you know, you were sick and I had to go for you. And he said, I went down there and it's dark and you're going through all these rocks down in these little remote places. And I was thinking, gee, me Christmas, I'm scared. And I'm an adult house, this kid that <laughs> isn't even 10 years old, not afraid. But now I think back and I wonder, you know, how many times, uh, you know, did I have a Bigfoot near me? I remember one time, you know, your coonhounds usually won't chase deer or possums, but occasionally if you bump one really closely because they're excited, they may chase one. And I had, uh, we had bumped a deer and they, our hounds had started down this hollow. And of course we had in the seventies, you had no good lights really. And my grandfather nope. left me, um, you know, I was probably, I don't know, 10 or 11. 
and he just left me in the middle of the woods and he said, I'm going to walk out as about a mile to the vehicle. And then he would drive down the road and try to find the dogs. He's like, just stay here in case they come back to you. And I remember, you know, I had no light. I had nothing. I was just standing in the middle of these woods in the most remote section of Ohio. And, um, thinking to myself, even at that age, surely the God has more planned for my life than me dying at the hands of some wild animal out here. But fortunately I lived and here we are today. I, I was just going to say that maybe you were so naive. You weren't, didn't know you were supposed to be scared. Well, you know, Brad, as life is going on here, I'm being proved to be for sure. One of the most naive people in the history of the United States. So it's the distinct possibility. <laughs> no, well, no, you know, and also, and also too, remember Bigfoot's, probably 98% of all Bigfoot encounters where the Bigfoot has an experience with a human, the human has no clue what's going on. They yeah, don't even know there's a Bigfoot there. They, they just hear a few noises, hear some rustling or, you know, hear some, hear some wood knocks, but they just don't have a clue what it is. Don't think anything. So when you have people that are totally unbiased on the idea, you know, yeah. the Bigfoot's kind of toy with them and the people don't even know what's going on. Half That's the, the whole but, thing about a Bigfoot report is you have to know the behaviors to even realize that you had an interaction with a Bigfoot. I remember in those same woods nearby, my grandfather and I heard, I heard a wood knock. I remember hearing two knocks. I asked my grandfather what it was. And he said, well, way down the hollow, when somebody slams a car door, it echoes up the hollow sounding yeah. funny. And that's what he believed. You know, he didn't know any differently. And, course, uh, you know, so I think that there's tons of people that hunters, when you ask them questions, you know, like, did you ever see an animal that didn't look quite right? Did you ever feel like you were being watched when you were in the woods? Did you ever see anything, blah, 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 that surprisingly, how many people, you know, have encounters? It's in my office, you know, where we're seeing hundreds of patients a week. It's rare for me to not see a hunter. And either if he doesn't have a story, he knows someone that has a story. Oh, yeah. yeah even even me doing my tree work, if I'm where if I'm uh wearing anything to do with Bigfoot on my shirt, you get the person that's, Hey, I like your shirt, you know? Oh, yeah. Okay. Whatever. And then, you know, I have a friend who swears up and down. He saw one in union County or I saw one in Seneca County and, you know, and then they go on and kind of elaborate and, you know, and I just simply tell them, well, you know, here, here, here's uh, information so have them submit the, the story to the BFRO. Here's the website and, you know, do it that way. But it's, it's just so, normal now that people always come away with a story but but one one story i was thinking about because you were talking about fishing you know obviously you guys know especially russ does that i was big into aquarium fish for many years and i would remember one a speaker came in he's a professor for the university of uh auburn and and uh, but and he was telling me you know, I after after the social meeting, he was hungry. So I took him up to the local joint to get some wings and beer and stuff. And, and he and he notices I'm wearing a Bigfoot shirt. And he goes, do you believe in that? I said, I said, well, yeah, of course I do. And, and he goes, he goes, do they ever do they ever like bother people that are fishing? I said, oh, yeah, that's a real common occurrence. And he, I go, why? He goes, well, when I was doing my undergrad at in at uh, North Carolina, Asheville, I believe it's it's in Asheville. The college is he was doing his undergrad in fisheries. He had his one of his projects was doing uh, was doing gut checks or food checks of catfish that you would catch with with fishing lines and you would 
cut them open right there to see what kind of food they were eating in this river up in up in the in that part of North Carolina, which have been Western North Carolina. And uh, so he said he's up there and it's around midnight. And he goes, obviously, when you catfish, you catfish late. So he gets in there, ladies, all by himself. He goes, I pull into the parking lot. He says, I was the only vehicle there. I hiked down the trail, came down to the area. I threw a couple lines in and I'm sitting there and I'm starting to catch some catfish, pulling him in. I'm cutting them open. I'm opening the stomach, taking everything out, doing, you know, analyzing everything that they're eating, taking notes. And he says, all of a sudden, he goes, I noticed in the water, the sound of like a, like a something threw something at him. And he goes, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, that's weird. So he just kept working away. Then another one. Then another one, and it went on and on, and eventually one hit the sandbar, and he sees it's a rock. And he says behind him, up on the hill, the slope it was a heavy wooded slope. He says he hears someone moving around up there. So he goes, here's the thing that freaked him out was this. He goes, if anyone would have drove into the parking lot, he had a bird's eye view of the bridge going across the river because he was on the bank fishing. He would have seen the car come in with the headlights and it would have parked and it would have came in. So he started talking to them saying, hey, you know, I'm just a, I'm just doing a college project and, uh, you know, for for this university. And, and uh, you know, I, what are you bothering me for? And he says no reply, but he could hear something moving on, moving around. Well, the rocks just kept coming just kept coming. So he finally got so uncomfortable. He goes, I just grabbed my broads and just ran the hell out of there. And he, and I go, so I go, what'd you do with all the fish? He goes, Oh, I left everything on the bank of the, on the sandbar. I said, well, that's exactly what they wanted you to do because they knew what you were doing. They knew you were cutting open food and it was right there and they smelled it. They wanted it. And he didn't really, he says in all those years, I never thought Bigfoot until after talking to me. And uh, so it was kind of really interesting story that a, a cop now he's a PhD, you know, at Auburn. And, you know, he actually had a Bigfoot encounter and just didn't realize it because until he talked to someone that could say, hey, yeah, these things do happen. Then he put it all together what it was. He always thought it was a local screwing with them. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't know if I talked about it last week. I can't remember about speaking with the zoologist. Did I talk about that, Brad? I don't think so. I had a zoologist come up to the table to talk to me. Um, I think he had bought one of my books and wanted me to sign it or something. And, you know, he's a PhD and he told me that, uh, he said, I have them living on my property. And I'm said, well, oh, yeah. you know, do you, did I talk about that? A little bit, but okay. Go ahead. So, I mean, there's a lot of professionals that are recognized that, um, you know, these animals are out here. I mean, it's just, um, just getting it all together for all of us. You know, it's enough accumulating enough data that we can yep. predict where they would be at a certain time of the year and have a good chance for, you know, getting some type of firmer evidence, I think. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I was talking with Cliff after the conference and since he got home from, from Ohio, he already had some more things happen at that one location where you know, he's been finding tracks pretty consistently. So it's been super exciting for him. So yeah. it just goes to show you that if you find a, a location and you stay consistent and true to your location, you know, a lot of things can happen. And I always tell people, especially if you're new into being an investigator, researching, have fun doing it, but stay true to your location. Because if, if there's history there, if you're consistently researching it, you have a, a chance to have a possible encounter or something that might, you know, obviously be life changing, let's just say. Mark, you know, listen, Brad and I appreciate so much, not only your yep. friendship, but you just coming on and spending tonight with us. And I think people are going to love to get to hear all the Bigfoot stories that we threw out there tonight and uh, we appreciate the good work that you do and hope that you'll come back on to talk to us about it. Oh, 
anytime, anytime. I mean, I really appreciate everything you guys do. And I think, uh, you know, you guys are a couple of the shining stars in Ohio and, uh, and, uh, you know, keep up the good work and there, keep up one the, shining star in Ohio and it's Russ or the Browns, but I don't, that, that doesn't, I'm you're shining so now because you're smiling more, Brad. You're right. smiling more. I've got, I got, like I said, people told me to smile more, so I'm smiling. <laughs> well, Brad, thanks, Mark. Maybe we appreciate and, you. Maybe you and I, we can go to cheer school together. Yeah, exactly. And uh, go from there. But no, thanks, and, guys. I appreciate and, and it. And we didn't you guys even, have a wonderful like I night. Said, I, I wore my Max Verstappen orange army shirt just for you because I know you're a big Formula One fan. Oh, of course. We didn't course. even get to talk about Formula One. Yes, but, uh, that's for another show. Well, you know, when Ferrari wins the title, we'll do a whole show. <laughs> uh, yeah, that good luck. Exactly. Oh, yeah, well, thanks, guys. On that one, so. Take care of yourself. Later, man. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Bye. It's well, always fun to uh, get a chance to talk with old friends. And catch oh, yeah. Up on some and big and especially, stories. you know, he uh, he's one that uh, you think you're, you're around him enough, you think you hear every story, and then he's got yeah. new ones. You know, yeah. it's like where'd that one come from? So that's yeah. that's pretty good. So yeah, you anyway. can uh, be around Mark and name a county or a wildlife area, and he'll have a story almost anywhere in the state. Absolutely. So, all right. Uh, wide open like research at gmail.com. Like and subscribe. The Bigfoot Doc. Um, the Bigfoot Doc.com. The Bigfoot Doc.com. Instagram. Wide open research. Uh, the Bigfoot Doc on Twitter. And other than that, uh, we're out of here, right? We appreciate uh, you. Thanks, everybody. We're out. Later.